Welcome back, Crypto Parabellum Podcast, episode number four, and we still have three hosts. Gentlemen, last week, pretty good reviews, I felt. Joel, apart from some microphone issues, which we believe we worked out, did very well, man. Welcome back to week two, Joel. Let's get it. I don't think we've worked the microphone issues out, but we will get there. (laughs) All right, that works. Uh, Alan, how are you? How you been? I'm doing well. I'm trying to recover from the last 15 minutes of my life working on Joel's microphone. Um, but you know what? We, we can, we can pull through it. <laughs> if we can get past this. All right. Well, um, we're going to have a little bit of a shorter episode here. Um, because we all have hard stops in about 40 minutes, but it should be a short, but good one. Um, and I think we should just hop right into it. All right. Sounds good to me. So we got a couple of things we're going to talk about. There there's, wasn't anything that really blew the doors off, but I think it's worth jumping into right away. We all know that we were headed down in a bear market. The, the Federal Reserve started tightening or stopping the cash flow and talked about, about, about quantitative tapering, which sent everything into a down spiral. One of the, obviously, byproducts of that was what happened to Three Arrows Capital, which was obviously we talked about in previous episodes, you know, insolvency, which had a massive trickle-down effect. And I wanted to use this time to talk about something you guys probably have as good or better insight, and probably Alan, because I know you've you've looked at each of these products, but there are quite a few reports coming out that Celsius, while still active, solvent, is about to head into some pretty significant financial stress. So, Alan, I don't know if you want to set it up, um, but I think there's two elements of this. One, what Mashinsky was doing prior to the fall and where they sit right now with cash. Because what happens if these things run to fruition? So, Alan, take it away. Sure. So maybe uh, there's sort of two things to talk about here, but I suppose the first one that you talk about is how they got into the situation that they're in. Um, And maybe we just hit that really, really uh, shortly because we've talked about it before, but the new information about how they got into the position that they are in, this is reported by the financial times. So, uh, Mm -hmm. very reputable source. Like, you know, I I think we can, we can take away something from this article. And that is that reportedly Alex, the CEO of, of Celsius decided that he was best suited to trade on behalf of the company, I suppose, and uh, by 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 um, trading on behalf of the company, you're really also trading on behalf of all of the users that have deposited to Celsius. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they called out in this was that he was trading hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, um, <laughs> and he was trying to trade the Fed's actions. And so there was one uh, specific situation that they described where I believe he sold Bitcoin prior to an announcement the next day he was wrong and bought all the bitcoin back higher and so like what that does is now creates a hole on the balance sheet because all of those users who have deposited bitcoin deposited eth like they are still owed the same amount of bitcoin or eth but you know you went to cash you basically shorted even just by going flat um and you were wrong so i i think again it just shows that what was going on behind the scenes at celsius 
is more and more cloudy. Um, and it is interesting to now see that you, you, as Alex, you can't really write it off as, oh, we made some honest mistakes in DeFi. I think they probably mm -hmm. did, but this is not one of those. It's, it's not at this point, you can't just say anymore. Oh, sorry. Like we did our best. No, no. The CEO who has no financial background, like his background is starting and running companies, you know, that, which is fine, but you should not be trading. That's as if Joel or I went on and traded on behalf of, of users that deposited with stacked like that. That's ridiculous. That's not what they're signing up for. Um, and, and so yet again, we find Celsius problems. I, I, I never really thought about that as like a realistic option. Like, is that disclosed when you deposit money? This is what we're going to do. And people just didn't read well, it. Okay. So that's an interesting question. I, I haven't read the Celsius terms, but my belief is, and I haven't seen this for a few months since it sort of all happened, but you were giving Celsius control of your funds. They had the ability to do whatever they thought was best to earn that return. They, you were giving them your crypto and in, in return, you, they were promising, I suppose it depends what you deposited, but something like 8% a year on, on USD. Um, and various lower rates on, on Bitcoin on ETH, that is no longer your crypto. It's basically like you gave them a loan. They're going to do whatever they want with it. But I think what makes this article different is in the uh, maybe filings with the, the bankruptcy filings. So Kirkland and Ellis is sort of running their, their bankruptcy process. Mm -hmm. um, it said there that Celsius was pushed into bankruptcy, not by mismanagement, but by a broader collapse in crypto asset prices, right? So it's sort of like saying, hey, it's not our fault. We did our best, but all these other things happened and that caught, that hurt us. But this article is the exact 180 of that statement. That is now mismanagement. Right. If you have the CEO trading, you know, uh, Fed rate meetings, that's mismanagement. I don't know what else you can call it. Right. Yeah. I Joel well, I would just add to that um, the the crypto prices it, again. Let's say that let the crypto prices are what led to this decline. Then the users would still have one to one assets. You know, they'd still have their one ETH. Right. It would be worth eighty percent less, but they would still have their one ETH. So to Alan's point, they dug themselves obviously a really big hole, and now they're in the position where. Uh, they're running out of money and as a business, right? There's there's multiple aspects and there's multiple ways to think about the assets that Celsius has. They have cash as a company. They have crypto as a company. They have their internal token, treasury, and then they have user client assets. And all of those numbers, all of those numbers are all messed up, <laughs> which we can get into some of the, to some of the specifics in a moment. Um, and that starts with that mismanagement. And it's not just, oh, the market went down 80%. Again, to Alan's point, it's attempting to time the market. And the funny thing is, or the ironic thing, or maybe the unfortunate thing is that Machinsky actually was um, pretty bearish at a decent time to be bearish. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's a volatile yeah, space. Prior to the Fed meeting in the fall. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Like he technically had yeah, it right. He just didn't time it great because we had that kind of exit pump, if you will, that exit scam. Well, and the funny part about it too is like he had it right. But if you if you follow this, which I do as a trader, and I bet to a lesser degree you guys do as well. Usually Fed Day and the day after, there's a move. And it generally has not been the move of the trend. 
So you're talking about that, like he sold, it went up, he bought back. It probably, if you look at those dates, I imagine not not long after that, it reversed. And so like he made trader 101 mistakes um, when it happened, which is which is pretty funny. But hold on, Alan, before you go, I just want to get these numbers out here because I think it's interesting to people that are listening. And I'm going to read this straight from the article from Coindesk, which has like their actual balance sheet. The document also showed that Celsius's liabilities in crypto to customers surpasses $6.6 billion while the lender only holds 3.3 billion of digital coins for a 2.8 billion difference as of July 29th. So uh, yeah, July 29th. So we're talking about now you, you can't, you mismanage your trade to the tune of down 50% where if you had just held everything one-to-one, they would be, I mean, they probably wouldn't be the same because they were paying out yields, but it would be what? Well, it's half a year of six yeah. of 12%, so you, 6% you should down? be like 4% off. Like, let's say you, right. know, you did it wrong. But sort of the nail in the coffin or the salt on the wound to all the Celsius depositors is Celsius still continues uh, continues to send out both emails and push notifications on like Mondays or something like that. You just got paid. You earned X percent in, you know, in the deposit rewards. <laughs> it's like, are, are you guys idiots? Stop. Stop sending those. Yeah. Stop saying that you're going to continue to pay uh, interest on customer deposits. You obviously can't. People, you know, all, all of your dirty laundry is now out there. So you, you can't fake it anymore. <laughs> so can we stop the emails and the push notifications every Monday? I, it's, I mean, with the amount of money they're spending still on payroll, you would think there's people overlooking the automated emails that are going out to their customer base. I mean, we saw those too. Right now, Celsius is in a point where they have $130 million in cash. But they're going to spend $137 million over the next... 90 days and that puts them functionally insolvent by October. Now that's assuming they don't cut costs and the majority of that cost is actually not payroll. I, I haven't, Alan, did they do layoffs? Do you remember anything published? Actually, I didn't I, see anything. I, I don't remember. I mean, you would imagine that they have, yeah. um, I, I can right. tell you the, the people that I spoke to as Celsius reps are not there anymore. Um, but you know, that's just personal. Uh, like, I, I don't have anything to confirm that. Yeah, I, I can see it right now. They they show August, September, October and what their payroll is. It, decri- it declined by 30% from, so it's going to decline. So they obviously did severances, which is yay for those people. Um, it will decline by about 40% September. And that's not going to make a dent. That doesn't make a dent. All of the money that they're, no, it's not all sure. the money they're spending is yeah. on hosting. Because this is for their mining business, okay. right? So their mining right. business is, yeah. is losing a ton of money right now. And that's a function of the market and the overall ecosystem and everything else. Um, so, yeah, it's it's mismanagement compounded on top of uh, multiple black swan events, as well as the crypto market kind of going bust. Uh, that, I mean, you can't ask for a worse way for things to play out. So... Let me let me ask this question because it sounds like barring Savior Sam coming in, which I doubt he has any intention to do. What happens? So if we we fast forward to October. Wrap it up. Stop stop, stop being selfish and trying to maintain corporate value. Wrap yeah. it up. Give everyone their money back and let it play out. Like you you have an extra 130 million dollars that you're going to burn between now and 90 days from now that you could instead right. return to customers. You won't. Right, because you want to keep getting yep. paid. I'm sure Alex is still getting paid, 
um, wrap it up, close it down. Now I don't even know that you can anymore. Now, now that you're in the the bankruptcy proceedings, like you might not have a lot of control over what you can and can't do. Yeah, probably not. Um, but I, I mean, I don't want to change the subject too much, but Voyager sort of has like the same thing. And, and like them every month that they delay some type of action, a deal with somebody, a buyout, um, you're depleting what could be returned to customers just from operation expense. Well, keep in mind they have their few weeks they have their own token right they have a treasury where they have 658 million of their token which is worth like a billion dollars now of course liquidity and everything else it's not but well it's locked yeah it's locked i read that and i was like what's funny is if that was the one thing that they hadn't actually done in a smart contract yeah. which they couldn't manipulate they would definitely just be dumping it right now to get themselves out it's hilarious that Crypto, which they could not manipulate because they locked it into a smart contract, um, or at least some portion of the vesting, uh, is is actually keeping everyone else from getting dumped on. Right. I don't know. Well, I mean, they could dump technically, uh, and it I, would just tank the price. I don't know that well, they have control over any of their assets during the bankruptcy. Well, during the bankruptcy, from a legal perspective, sure. But um, just talking about trying to get liquidity from assets, right? As a general part of a bankruptcy proceeding, you're liquidating assets, right? To try to generate as much cash as you can, ideally to pay back to your victims, not just lawyers and everything else. I'm sure uh, it's building quite a bit here. But um, I mean, ultimately, you're right, Alan. Like they're going to blow another couple hundred million dollars going through some formal proceeding um, only to just give ID, hopefully. The assets that they do have uh, back to the back to their users, which would be what about a fifty percent loss to those users. I mean, obviously you're you're pretty thrilled to get fifty yeah. percent of your money back if uh, sin, you know if since June uh, you've thought that it was zero. So obviously Japan is different than the United States, but just for the sake of comparison, for people that know about Mautgox, so we just talked about what was it like almost three billion dollars they're under, so about fifty percent. Mt. Gox was 500 million and it's still being resolved. That was in 2014. 2014. Yep. It's still being resolved eight years later. And it's through obviously court and different claimants and whatever it may be. Obviously, I think they had much less information about you know, clients in 2014. Uh, but that was half a billion. We're talking about six times that amount. But yeah, I mean, if you if you're if you had money there. What do you do? I mean, it, give me my 50%. Sounds like you're going to wait seven years to get 50% back. And hopefully the market 100X is by then and all those people get rich. I mean, people, people, if they were getting Bitcoin now from Mt. Gox, they'd be pretty thrilled. I mean, that was a forced hodl. That was a forced hodl over eight years. I mean, obviously not to take yeah. anything away from the actual victims of Mt. Gox. And that's not obviously how it worked out. But um, one, no, one, no, one no, could no. be optimistic and say, you know, maybe this, maybe this does work out okay for the clients in the long run. I just don't understand the bankruptcy proceedings at all in this case, looking at how bad everything is when you actually get a peek inside of their books. It's like, just instead of going through that to Alan's point, why not just close up shop, give everyone the money back that you can, instead of dragging this through bankruptcy yeah. court for seven years, it's going to so, be a mess, man. So Real quick, Alan, do you know, is Mashinsky like, uh, I mean, you all have better insight into what's required to be an SEC sanctioned company, which clearly, you know, they're not. But is there any indication that Mashinsky had the licenses needed to be trading that on other people's behalf? 
Wow. And I asked that really as the first, as a setup of a question to say, if he didn't, this should extend beyond civil. Well, I, guess well, I, we, I think what you're asking is like, it, is, is Alex legally allowed to, to do what he did in terms of the right. trade? Yeah. I don't know. Probably. I mean, we obviously aren't lawyers, but what license do people get to trade cryptocurrency? Right. Um, you're already running a biz. You're already running Celsius, which take it from someone who runs a highly regulated business in the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Um, nothing that Celsius was doing, as far as I could tell, would be looked upon favorably by most, if any, regulators in most, if any, jurisdictions. So the the least of his concerns was whether or not Mashinsky was deciding to trade Bitcoin, as opposed to their chief investment officer making that decision. Um, that's, that's small stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if you think about it, um, and it's sort of interesting that this didn't happen, but what BlockFi got a lot of, um, SEC attention, Celsius got zero SEC attention, at least as far as I'm aware of, uh, I haven't seen any news about right. that e- even now. Now, maybe the SEC looks at it as like, uh, it's too late for Like we don't need to get involved at this point. Um, but it's, it's a similar business. I won't do BlockFi, I, I won't insult BlockFi by saying it's the same business. It's not the same business, but they are close, right? It's it, They're both fruits. Right. It's an apple and an orange, but they're both fruits. Um, and so why did, why did BlockFi get SEC attention, but Celsius did not? The only thing I can think of is BlockFi was within arm's reach in the US, right? Like operating as a US company. Celsius had an office in the US. They had representatives in the US. Uh, I believe their headquarters, and I'm using air quotes, and and that was Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, so right. I, I don't. Know, I would I would venture to guess it's the SEC is not is not a criminal prosecution, um, or um, a judge or a court, obviously, or anything like that. Right? They're a regulating body, and the only thing that they get out of the stuff is fines. They get fees. They get money. That's how they run their business. Um, it is a business. It's a business designed to protect consumers but a business nonetheless that needs to generate revenue. And they do so typically on a yearly basis, you know, nine figures from JP Morgan and Wells Fargo and every other blue chip bank that all of us use has been fined billions and billions of dollars on an annual basis for thousands of compliance violations. It happens every single day. Um, BlockFi had a hundred million dollars to give Celsius doesn't. So, uh, you know, the SEC can only stay on top. The only the SEC can only stay on top of so much, right? Um, Celsius was probably on their dartboard, uh, and then it, and then it blew up, and now it's kind of outside of their hands. Now it's in bankruptcy court, right? What, what was the SEC going to do? Become a, become a creditor? I got, right? I got you. So, so essentially, there's no reason no. to even try to pursue well, any hundred any fine that the SEC collects has to come out of the pockets of of victims. I mean, they, they could do something maybe post, so like post bankruptcy wrap up, like some 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 sort of ban on Alex, like you know, being a yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But he's I don't think he's a U.S. citizen. He's born in the Ukraine, raised in Israel, so I I don't yep. know where his citizenship is, but I don't think it's U.S. Hmm. I doubt it. And yeah, you're right, Alan. They they likely will if they haven't already, and we just haven't heard about it. Citizenship: Israel and United States. Israel and the United States. Yep, dual mm. citizenship. Well, then, yeah. So then he he could have some sort of um, barred from yeah, trading, yeah, or barred from trading, but then also like uh, officer holding it, holding an officer role at a financial company, right? Um, and yeah. keep in mind the civil yeah. the civil stuff that's going to come out of this will be biblical. I mean, there there's already 
former employees and executives of the company suing the company, let alone victims. Maybe of which uh, there will be right. a lot of you know class action stuff. I'm sure. Maybe that's a good segue into the Three Arrows news of the week, uh, talking about, uh, yeah. well, in that case, Joel, where you're talking about employees being unhappy. In this case, Three Arrows Capital um, <laughs> was trading their mother's money. So that came out this week um, in an article where on sort of like the list of creditors um, that, that is owed something, not only was it Three Arrows employees who were actually... Uh, able to deposit a portion of their paycheck into the lending desk of Thoreau's Capitals, their mothers came up as creditors uh, to to the whole bankruptcy proceeding. <laughs> so uh, not only did you lose your own money, you you burned your reputation. You're now on the run. Your mom's also pretty unhappy. It's unbelievable. There's an article that I'll link in the uh, in the podcast description this week. And I'm going to try to start doing that more often because like, I have all the articles that we do. And I think people have asked me, hey, where'd you get that information from? So I'll just start posting all the articles so that you guys want to go and look, go for it. Um, but there's one by the New York, uh, New York Magazine that came out really today. Um, and yeah, it uh, came out yesterday, the 15th. And they're it, it, probably the most thorough look at Sue and, and Kyle. And honestly, I was reading it like with my mouth open at some of the things that I saw these guys do and like that they essentially were failed FX traders. And I say failed because they torched every relationship they had uh, with banks trying to arbitrage those moves to where they got kicked out. They just happened to have it at the same time. So much so it was like, I don't know how New York Magazine surmises this, but you know, Sue's claim was what? Do you remember what Sue became famous? Super for? cycle, baby. Well, that. yes, but before that, when he first gained notoriety. No, I, I don't know. So for calling the bottom after hmm. 2017 is what he like self-proclaimed. I called the bottom, which he was right. Like when it was down near 3000 or whatever it was, this is before the flash crash. Um, and it lines up exactly with when they were kicked out of their FX trading circles. So it was like they were looking for a new racket and it was like, ah, oh, the Bitcoin bo uh, uh, crypto bottom, let's go. And like it turned out to be right. But it was just kind of funny how at the at the time where they got locked up, uh, locked out of FX trading. Um, and I don't know enough about it to speak intelligently on it. But apparently, like the quote in here is, by 2017, when the banks began cutting them off, whenever three, three Arrows Capital requested a price, all the bank FX traders were like, fuck these guys. I'm not going to price them because essentially they would take errors and quotes and hold the banks accountable. And that's just like not a generally accepted practice in FX trading. doesn't really matter. Uh, but pretty wild that they went from that to like being coming crypto savants. But I think what's more interesting to me, and I'm going to try to find the article right now, and then and we'll kind of roll into um, one of the other implications here. Where is it? Uh, essentially that part of their business strategy was creating a ridiculous persona on Twitter. It, it was worked. explicit. It was planned. It, it worked, but it was literally like a, I'm gonna, like Sue being like, I'm going to create the super cycle and we're going to talk about blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to talk shit about this, that, and the other. And it was essentially just manipulating people into thinking they were more um, credible than uh, they were. I think you're missing the most entertaining aspect of the article, which is during the FX years, uh, Sue was known to trade shirtless in the office. 
And not only, <laughs> uh, excuse me, this is not like sitting in his crypto office trading for three hours capital where he is like the CEO or co-CEO or however they titled that. This is Correct. like he had a job yeah. before, I believe it was before Deutsche Bank. I can't remember the name. They, they listed it. So you went to a corporate office. You walked inside and he would wear shorts in a, in a banking environment and also take his shirt off when he trade traded. So like, is it that far of a stretch to think the guy who took his shirt off at work and then walked around the lobby, walked around the office, then also went down to 11% body fat and posted shirtless pictures on Twitter and like had this giant like ego persona. Like, is it that far of a stretch? The guy's kind of crazy. 11% body fat weighing 126 pounds soaking wet. Like, <laughs> yeah, when I was 14, I had 11% body fat too. We had the exact same body, my man. Uh, the article also quoted, the uh, article also quoted him as like when he got really serious about his fitness, he got to a point where apparently he was happy and he started calling his trainer fat. He would make fun of his trainer. And it's just like what a what a ridiculous person. Yeah. Yeah, but so so by the way, I found the part of the article I want to talk about. In crypto, the only social media platform that counts is Twitter. Many key figures, uh, blah, 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 in what has become a global industry are anonymous or pseudo-anonymous in an unrelated space without legacy institutions, blah, blah, blah. That was the center place. Okay, the point is, um, <laughs> Zhu earned his way into an elite upper, upper tier of crypto Twitter. He had a conscious plan to become a Twitter celebrity and entailed tweeting a lot, pandering to the crypto masses with outrageously bullish prognostications, racking up a huge number of followers, and in turn, becoming an apex predator on crypto Twitter, profiting at the expense of everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody... Oh, you did it. I, I, think, I think everyone <laughs> knows and agrees that there is a financial benefit to being a personality, not just in crypto. Right. In, yeah. in any, let's just talk financial markets. No, you're right. You know, Jim Cramer, he benefits financially from being Jim Cramer and anyone on CNBC that has, you know, um, notoriety also benefits. Um, that that's part of the game and he played it really, really well. He's not the only person that has done that on Twitter. Like we sort of, and I think we talked about it maybe one episode or two episodes ago, we sort of have these like rise and falls of, of like Titans in the crypto industry and it's all through Twitter. Yeah. Um, and they're not always super negative, right? But there's someone's always super hot. And for a time, it was Theros Capital, and then it was Doquan, and Sam had his time. Um, Arthur Hayes had his time even before that. Like, there's always these like rise in a sense that this person is untouchable. They're geniuses. I hope that as an yep. industry, we mature at least a little bit and start to see through some of it. There will always be like, in in any of those cases, Arthur Hayes obviously is was incredibly and is incredibly successful. Go and read his blogs. The guy's not an idiot. Now he made mistakes. No. I think he's on the circle back. I think he's kind of yeah, ridiculous, I think so as too. ridiculous as it is because because Bitmex had its issues and Bitmex was ridiculous and dude was a predator. But he had his own sense of morals and like he held to certain things and allowed people to succeed. If he they saved the cryptocurrency, game. I think. Just, I mean, no doubt. It, it, We'll have to talk about that later on. That'll be a whole other topic for another episode because I think a lot of people listening to this don't know that and we'll need to talk about it. However, what I would say is he was kind of outcast with the whole BitMEX fall down and like, you know, they were getting shut down and KYC'd first and all that kind of stuff. And then they were on the run and 
whatever. He's kind of come full circle where it's like of all the people that had their moment apart from Sam, like the only two dudes that are left who not have been full of shit or just straight up LARPs, which by the way, anecdotally, I didn't know what LARP meant for the longest time. Uh, no, you know I, what know. Of course. I do. Now. You don't know what it stands for? Live action role play. <laughs> live action role play it's so much funnier whenever i hear the word to be like live action role play so like everyone else was larp except for those two dudes like it's sam and it's arthur and i think everybody else who's kind of risen to crypto notoriety has been fucking full of shit i mean you're right uh, many it's yeah it's sort of actually given me an idea and so we should get feedback on this Uh, like so anyone listening tell us what you think of this idea what if we did an episode like an off week episode or just a segment that was like crypto history so there's a lot of people that are probably listening mm. that weren't here four years ago. Like they don't know Arthur Hayes saved, yeah. saved crypto. They're like, wait, what? What do you mean? Like that might be interesting to go into like short 30 minute. We, we, we set up the background. We go through the situation, sort of explain when it happened. Some people would be repetitive, but there's a lot of people that weren't here for something like that. Um, they weren't here for- The ETH flash crash to $1. Yes. Uh, on Kraken, right? Yeah, on GDAX. GDAX. Oh yeah! Wait, what? So there you go, and then, and then Kraken had multiple <laughs> when my flash entire crashes. net worth was in ETH. <laughs> uh, Kraken had multiple oh flash crashes. God. Another one is like the infamous story of Sam um, telling what's his name, Coin Mamba, Coin Man Mamba, to sell all this yeah. soul. Like there are a lot of like it's, infamous yeah. historical moments that might be cool to be explained. So let us know what you think about that idea. Dude, the Sam, I remember watching the Sam and Coin Mamba thing and literally thinking it was the baddest ass thing I'd ever seen. It was literally like just telling this dude because Quinn Mama is very well off, usually does very well, like has a good place. And like he, he publicly shares his positions, too, which is what a lot of people don't do. He um, took that L, he took that L on, on the chin, though. Like he he definitely yeah, he's he definitely now. I mean, don't you remember, like for months, he was just salty about it. Yeah, and yeah he was, he was. Trolled to, you know, now uh, he's yeah. like, I would say taking it pretty well, but. There was a time when he was clapping back or trying to clap back on that the whole way up oh, for yeah. soul. Dude, it went from he, he was talking shit at two dollars. It went to two hundred and forty dollars. Soul's growth. There's no reason to own soul. Short sell here. It's going to zero. Sam, sell me all the soul you want at two dollars and go fuck yourself or whatever he said. Uh and fuck off. Unbelievable. It's like seriously one of the greatest moments ever. I like that. I think you know what we should do? We can do it as we record these, and I'll just edit it as like crypto short, and I'll put it as like crypto history see, short. Before, publish that right before as we, we go into it. I would want to yeah. like uh, research up on it, Planet. right? Like, there's a lot of stuff that I remember, sort of, but like going back and looking at the details and the timeline and actually laying it out in like you know a, a good way, I think would take prep. You know what I want to start with, okay. and then we'll move on because this is seeming to be entertaining. People don't know what we're talking about. I want to talk about God.pdf first. I don't know that one. Oh my God, Joel. God.pdf? New to me. Oh wait, no, that, no, okay, I do know what that is. That is the, that is the document that explains how to market manipulate crypto, right? And, and that was how a lot of your favorite personalities on Twitter made their starting fortune. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, and I, there's like now ex, like very good evidence to support that too, which has been coming out, you know, just as a trickle, which I've been compiling, but we'll get on that too a little bit later. So, um, I want to do a couple updates really quick. We don't have a ton of time left, but, um, anything else you guys want to talk about from a, um, 
three AC perspective. I mean, the only other thing that I was going to say was it just talks to their credibility. Um, they own a piece of Darabit, um, the exchange. And I sent this screenshot to you guys, but there were uh, there was a time in 2019 they were trying to off, you know, ship off a piece of it, and just like grossly manipulating the value of their own um, holdings. So uh, the quote here is. 3AC had invested in a crypto options exchange called Deribit, and it was selling off a stake. The term sheet set the value of Deribit at $700 million, but some investors noticed the valuation seemed off and discovered its actual valuation was just $280 million. Three Arrows, it turned out, was attempting to flip a portion of its investment at a steep markup, essentially netting the fund an enormous kickback. It was a sketchy thing to do in venture capital, and it blindsided the outside investors. And a quote goes on to say from Nickel, Dis Nickel Digital Asset Management, who received the pitch since then I've basically stayed away from them, held them in very low regard and never wanted to do business with them. So I don't know if that Alan, you had a feeling on this one. I brought it up before, but it's just interesting because I imagine in that world, there's like generally accepted valuation tenants. And it sounds like either one, they were saying, fuck you. We'll just value this however we like, or two, they were, you know, kind of incompetent or dreamers. I, I don't know. What are your so thoughts on that? I, I pushed back on this idea of it being, either super nefarious or a data point to look back towards and say, oh, see, they're incompetent. There are plenty of other really good um, okay. examples of them being incompetent. And so I think this one has the potential to be a little <laughs> bit like intellectually dishonest and someone just looking for an interesting article <clears throat> that, that mentions Darabit. So let me explain why. I, one, there's not enough information in that like short quote that you gave or even in the article to say whether what they were yeah. doing was nefarious or not. So I'll, I'll lay out an example of, of devil's advocate, how it could not be nefarious. If so, it said that uh, they were trying to sell the stake for 700 something million, or sorry, at a $700 million yeah. valuation. Um, and the valuation, current valuation, yeah. and I say that in air quotes, was 200 and some 280 or 270. So, an example of where that could be perfectly fine is the last round was conducted at a 270 or $80 million valuation a year ago. And the business has now 4X'd all of the metrics since the last raise. And they're now trying to exit their position on the private market. I don't have a problem with that. When you are trading, in this case, a private market asset, like a position, an equity position in a private company, you get to set the price unless there is a public round going on where the company is selling some of the equity. You can, as an investor, as long as right, it's like not in your terms that you can't sell or the company can veto or something like that. You can go out and try to sell whatever you want for whatever price you want. And in venture capital, I think it is generally understood that you are and you are you either are or should be or seen as a sophisticated uh, investor base. And so if Three Rose Capital wants to go out and put out a term sheet for their stake at a $700 million valuation, I don't see a problem with that. Every other venture capital firm can look at it and say, you know what? No, thanks. I'm not interested. But if there's... And to, ahead, protect, to protect shareholders, there's also always in these sorts of deals, what's called a right of first refusal that the company and shareholders will be granted the option to exercise. Uh, and, and that prevents the opposite of this happening. It's a good thing for shareholders when a company is valued at 200 million and then someone agrees to buy buy shares at 400 million. There's complexities mm -hmm. that we won't get into that that can complicate things to say the least and actually can make it not great for shareholders. But in principle, 
hey, like now the company is worth 400 million, especially if they're selling any sort of a, ma a majority stake, even if it is in secondary. But what happens when someone happens to own on paper, um, 50, you know, equity in a company worth $200 million, and then now they need money for whatever reason, because they have to pay for a yacht or whatever, right? Well, what's to stop them from going out to the public market and saying, hey, this company's worth 200 million, I own $10 million worth, but I'll sell it to you at a $50 million valuation, right? I'll sell it to you at a massive discount. The right of first sure. refusal, yeah, because right. I need cash. The right of first refusal kind of protects the company because anytime an, uh, you know, a shareholder wants to sell in that sort of situation, the company has the right to make, to, to take that offer first. So any offer that you put out to some private investor in a secondary round, no less, the company is going to have an option to, to buy that first. Um, so I'm with Alan on this. We don't know the specificity, the details. I'm sure they were trying to flip equity in companies, especially what, because they were token fiends. They didn't give a shit about equity. They wanted tokens. They're, they're major, the main reason they didn't invest in our, in our business, Kyle, I pitched Kyle Davies. I had a conversation with him, multiple conversations with him. And I have feedback for maybe another day, but we didn't have a token. They're not interested when there's no token involved. Derivit was a was an exception. Dude. Um, not the rule. Yeah, really? That, so he just uh, yeah. So Joel drops so, out with the internet, but um, I would say that I mean that is accurate, and they like tokens. Um, I mean they have a a lot of equity, is from my understanding in in Deribit, and then also there's one other firm that's sort of very notable. I'm sure they have equity in other companies, but what is it? Um, I'm not going to remember the name off the top of my head. You know they're looking for liquidity. I don't have a problem with that. I think the article's reaching. Okay, that's fair. I just find it interesting because it is just like they're finding ways to, to cast shade on them. Joel's back, by the way. Um, you, you froze for a minute there, big guy. Hey, I'm hardwired at 950 uh, MBPS, so y'all take that up somebody else. So am I, and I, I have issues too. I have I have a gig and it's still hit stuff drops, so it's weird. Uh, by the way, the other thing about that article that I think of notice, did you see what the name of their yacht was to be called? Because I thought it was hilarious. I had a Much wow. <laughs> <laughs> And and they would put the name on the bow. Oh, wait, is that true? <laughs> yeah, come on. Man. Much wow <laughs> on the bow. So stupid, man. Much wow so, on the bow. I, I maintain Idiots. that three arrows, this whole debacle, which then led to Celsius Voyager, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, will be our black eye for a decade, at a minimum for a decade. At least. Um, now, people have short memories. Yeah. It'll go quickly, I suppose. Um, but... You know, there's always going to be someone that says, I remember when, or I don't trust crypto because, or I don't trust lending providers because, yes. um, and that skepticism is healthy. This industry will be better off from all these lending desks getting spanked. They're all going to be good little boys and girls now, and they're right. going to go out and do actual good, reliable, uh, sustainable deals that require collateral and require reputation uh, that is not, not just on Twitter, but verified, right? They're going to review balance sheets before providing loans and yeah. things like that as they should have been. And that's good. So we will grow from this, but yeah. we'll be a black guy for, for a long time. No doubt. No doubt. I know you guys got to run. I just want to get this one little kind of story update anecdote in here. And we talked about BlackRock and uh, Alan did a great job of laying out Aladdin, which I got really good feedback on as to what that is. And no one's surprised. I'll post it in the show notes, but BlackRock offering direct private trust to Bitcoin through Coinbase. What, not, what's the pro? What's the old version? Prime. Prime. 
Coinbase Prime. So um, we have what we conspired would happen. And and I think what's his name from uh, Grayscale was super salty about it. So essentially, you're going to get spot tracked, um, a spot tracked direct private trust to Bitcoin. It doesn't mean you're actually holding so spot. GBTC? <laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially, but there's no, there's no, I don't know how they're going to handle the premium. Maybe they're just big enough that they can hold it. So I'll look for more on that. But it was a big article that kind of sent crypto flying. So, uh, boys, I know you got a meeting here in a couple of minutes. This was a good one. We will get Joel's microphone continually to get tweaked in. I think this week was better. Yeah. I think this week was better than last week. So, <laughs> Thank you. There you go. <laughs> All right. Let me hit the outro and we'll get out of here. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. I'll post the links in the show description. Follow us on Twitter. We're now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, and Audible. All four that you need. So get us wherever you like. Anyway, boys, appreciate Cheers. it. Have Bye-bye. a good week.